The following podcast contains language and subject matter that some listeners may find disturbing. Listener discretion is advised. All right, let me explain what's going to happen this morning. What we're going to do is uh, there are different witnesses that are uh, wanting to testify or be called to testify in this case. I wake up every morning thanking God I woke up every morning. I, my first thought is my husband. I think of Jason. It's my first thought. The day he became a police officer, the day I watched him walk across that stage and get his star and go on to the job as a Chicago police officer was a very proud moment for both of us. He put me out the car and uh, put the handcuffs on both my arms. I was walking backwards. He was dragging me backwards. Were you in pain, physical yes. pain when that happened? Yes. Where were you feeling pain? My arms. He's a hard worker. He's dedicated. He's a good dad. Um, he's, he's religious. He is um, quite loyal. He knew his calling. He knew he wanted to serve and protect. And that's what he did for a very long time. I was quite nervous because he had his gun drawn on me. He put the gun to my temple. Is your testimony that Jason Van Dyke made a racial slur to you? Yes. Okay. What was that racial slur? Um, I was called a black-ass nigger. What is your opinion of Jason as a police officer? Good man. Good policeman. I'd work with him. That's the highest compliment you can say to another police officer. It hurt very bad. You know, I couldn't move my shoulders and I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't move nothing. The Independent Police Review Authority took no action against Mr. Van Dyke. No. He went to work the same day, the next damn day. My biggest fear is that somebody will kill my husband for something he did as a police officer, something he was trained to do. No malice, no hatred on that night. It was simply a a man doing his job. I certainly have to take in consideration all the feelings that are involved here today and during throughout the whole trial. You've been here today and you've seen the impact that this sentence, I mean, this crime has had on Laquan McDonald and his family. You've seen the impact on uh, the Van Dykes and their family, the children. And I think Mr. McMahon said it uh, in closing arguments in the case in chief, this is a tragedy for both sides. So this is not easy, and I don't expect it to be easy. uh, My findings are an appropriate sentence would be 81 months in the Illinois Department of Corrections, two years mandatory supervised release. From WBEZ Chicago and the Chicago Tribune, this is 16 Shots, the police shooting of Laquan McDonald. I'm Jen White. 81 months. That's the sentence handed down today for Jason Van Dyke, a little less than seven years. WBEZ's Chip Mitchell was in the courtroom for the sentencing hearing. Hey, Chip. Hey, Jen. So this hearing today went eight hours, and there were a lot of legal arguments we'll get to in a minute, but most of the day was witnesses. The prosecutors went first. Who did they put on the stand? 
Well, they had a half dozen witnesses, Jen. Most of them were African-American men who'd filed a complaint or lawsuit against Jason Van Dyke about his policing, about his on-duty conduct. Now, since Van Dyke was first charged uh, with murder after the killing of Laquan McDonald, this is more than three years ago, no details about these administrative complaints have been aired in the courtroom. So uh, we know from CPD records that Van Dyke had at least 22 complaints on file about his policing before he shot and killed Laquan McDonald. Half of those complaints allege excessive force. And Jen, Van Dyke was not found at fault or disciplined in any of those 22 cases. Now, prosecutors called to the witness stand only one of McDonald's family members. Uh, It was Reverend Marvin Hunter. That's his great uncle. Most of his testimony was in the form of a letter he'd written, Marvin Hunter had written, in the voice of McDonald, the voice of this teenager after he'd been killed by Van Dyke. I'm a 17-year-old boy. I'm a victim of murder. I want the judge to know about me, what I have suffered, and what my life was like. So this reading um, in Laquan McDonald's voice, it was a little strange. And there also wasn't a lot of emotion. And really, this was maybe a problem because it was the prosecutor's best chance to let the judge know how big a loss McDonald's death was to um, show the judge that Laquan McDonald wasn't just some throwaway kid, a, a juvenile delinquent, that he is missed and that he was loved. Well, then the defense had its turn to put witnesses on. Who did we hear from? Yeah, they put on about 10 witnesses. Many of them were current or retired cops who'd worked with Van Dyke. And the defense also called many of Van Dyke's family members as witnesses, as we expected. Um, There was his wife, his father, his sister, a brother-in-law who's African-American. Do you think he's a racist? Absolutely not. Uh, That'd be the last thought in my mind. Um, He's been portrayed that way, but um, there's not a single incident that I can recall right would have thought that maybe there was a certain way he treated somebody. He demanded respect, and he also gave respect. That's how he was. And defense attorneys also called Van Dyke's 17-year-old daughter, Kaylee. Now, the judge kept the media from putting her on camera or recording the sound of her testifying, but she really landed the strongest emotional punches about the way a long sentence for Van Dyke would affect his family. She talked about how hard it was for the only contact with him to be driving to the jail three hours away and then getting only to touch his hand through this dirty glass that she described. And at that point, she started to cry. And, Jen, I'd been keeping an eye on Van Dyke throughout the hearing, and this was the only only point I saw him crying, too. He dabbed his eyes. And here's something kind of interesting. Um, Kaylee, she also basically denied the existence of police brutality. She said it's often confused with officers, and these are her words, with officers being assertive with people who are out of control. And then the final person to talk was Jason Van Dyke himself. He read a short statement from a sheet of paper. He said it was the first time he had fired his weapon. He said it was due to his actions that Laquan McDonald's family is suffering and that it was a choice he would have to live with forever. Well, in addition to the witness, this attorney spent some time making legal arguments, and those turned out to be very important for the sentence that Judge Gaughan handed down. They were a little confusing, but tell us what the main sticking point was. Yeah, the jury convicted Van Dyke of second-degree murder and 16 counts of aggravated battery with a firearm. 
the prosecutors, they pushed for the sentence to be based on the battery counts because the penalties are actually tougher. Um, the defense was arguing for the sentence to be based on the second-degree murder conviction, which would allow a penalty as light as probation without any prison time at all. Well, in the end, as we heard a few minutes ago, Judge Gaughan sentenced Van Dyke to 81 months in prison. What did he say about how he reached that decision? Well, he laid out a long legal rationale for basing the sentence on the the second-degree murder conviction, um, just like the defense wanted. So, Jen, what this 81 months means, um, Van Dyke only has to serve half that time if he doesn't get in trouble in prison, and he's already done more than three months in jail, so he could be free in three years. Chip, you were watching Jason Van Dyke's family as the judge gave this sentence. How did they react? Yeah, as the judge was uh, laying the legal background for his ruling, this was before he announced the sentence would be 81 months. The the whole family, the whole pew, they were were sitting on the edge of their seats. Um, They were all clasping hands all the way down the pew. Um, And then when the judge finally got to the point where he quickly said 81 months, the whole family, they were frozen. There was no reaction at all. They were just staring straight ahead. They, they couldn't get their head around even what that might mean. And then with a couple of minutes, it, it uh, started to sink in and they circled together. They were crying. And on the way out, um, I spoke with a, a, a few of them and they made it clear that these were tears of relief because the sentence that they had in their mind was 96 years. You know, if you string together all those aggravated battery counts. So they were they were really fearful that Jason Van Dyke would be spending the rest of his life in prison. Thanks, Chip. My pleasure. Down in the courthouse lobby, Special Prosecutor Joseph McMahon was talking about how he was satisfied with the sentence. Even though he knows many are disappointed in the decision, coming just today after the acquittals and the cover-up trial. Uh, I know a lot of people uh, hung their hats on uh, you know, a really lengthy sentence in this case. My focus has always been just on Jason Van Dyke. And while I'm aware of all of those other circumstances, McMahon was interrupted by chants of 16 shots being shouted by protesters at the Van Dyke family as they walked through the lobby and out of the courthouse, locked arm in arm. It was clear that even if McMahon was satisfied, many others were not. Like Laquan McDonald's great uncle, Reverend Marvin Hunter. This sentence represents the sentence of a second-class citizen. It reduced Laquan McDonald's life to a second-class citizen. Uh, and, it, and, it, and it suggests to us that there are no laws on the books for a white man, a black man that a white man is bound to honor. Thank you. After Hunter was activist Will Calloway. That's a slap in the face mm. to us and a slap on the wrist to him. Still, Calloway tried to sound a positive note. Today we're still going to celebrate because we shift the pendulum in the city of Chicago. We set a precedent for the first time in 50 years an on-duty officer was charged and convicted for murder. And that's something that we're proud of. And everybody in the activist community, be proud of that. That's something that we did collectively together. No one person or no one politician can take credit for that. That's something that we did collectively. There's, there's no question that this case, as well as some other cases, uh, for right or wrong, um, have had a chilling effect on police officers. That's Jason Van Dyke's attorney, Dan Herbert. I just want to caution a lot of the people that are, that are praising this chilling effect. You know, it, it doesn't necessarily affect me. It doesn't affect a lot of people in here. Uh, what, what is very concerning is the, the most vulnerable members of our society are the ones that are, are, are certainly most impacted by 
the police officers not, um, not being proactive, not doing their jobs. Herbert was asked how he felt about the sentence. I'll tell you, the, the moment that I realized I was happy was probably 10 minutes ago when I went back with Jason and his family. And he truly felt great. I mean, he was not just relieved. He, he, was, he was happy. It was the first time I've seen the guy, honestly, since, um, since this whole ordeal started, where he was happy. You know, he's certainly not happy about going to jail. He's certainly not happy about missing his family, but he's happy about the prospect of life ahead of him. And, and that, to me, was one of the greatest feelings. Okay? Thank you. Have a good night. Less than an hour after the sentence was handed down, about a dozen young people gathered on the second floor of a building on 51st Street on Chicago's south side. As teenagers arrived, they gave each other long, tight hugs. <clears throat> trying to get everybody's emotions, trying to make sure everybody's okay. Yeah, so we, you didn't really miss much. We, we just they gathered in a circle on metal folding chairs. We have two other people who just joined us, so if you guys would like to speak, we are saying our names um, and how we're feeling about what just happened. What transpired in Chicago roughly an hour ago is nothing that we should ever have to sit down and talk about. It's just kind of a sickness that you feel in your soul. And it is sad that we have to do this work and to fight and to constantly pour our souls and our hearts out to a group of people who are never going to listen. And I feel like, not that we doing the work for nothing, but we never get justice that we want, period, whatsoever, anything. We fought, we fought for our school to stay open. I'm at a whole new school. This is my third high school. I'm a junior. Ain't no way I should be in my third high school in my third year. CPS failing us. Mayors failing us. CPD failing us. Chicago failing us. Everybody just failing us. But they say, oh, we for the people. We for the youth and this and that. Like, mm. I'm tired of hearing bullshit. <laughs> we do all this work and it goes unnoticed. We've been crying too long, marching too long, protesting too long for us still to be hurt. I'm confused. I'm really confused. Laquan's mother, what? Y'all, y'all, I, I haven't heard and I'm sorry yet. That's my problem with this whole case. Fuck is tweet, bro. I'll be 22 when this nigga get out, bro. What the fuck is that? That ain't shit. That ain't shit to nobody. Bro. Calm bro. down, bro. Calm down, bro. Bro. Just calm down, bro. They stick up! We keep saying the same thing. It's never going to end. We keep fighting for the same stuff. It keeps happening. There's no justice for us at all. We're, like they, they, they have no respect, and they have always seen us as animals, going back to Jim Crow laws. It's like It just keeps happening. It's just like, what do they want us to do? And then they get upset with when we say how we feel, and, oh, not all cops are bad. Um, you know, there's, there's, there's still work to do in the city. It's just like, why, 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 like, why, why does, why do we have to do this?
in the first place. Like, I always hear that statement, there's still, there's still work to do, there's still work to do. But it's just like, why? This, this work shouldn't have to be ex existing right now. This, this shouldn't be an option. Uh, I just don't, I don't know how to feel right now other than like, I'm extremely angry. It's just, it's just so sad. It's just like, where is the justice? I, it's like, I don't have it in me to go riot. I don't have it in me, because that doesn't do anything. I, I'm like, I feel myself getting so hot. I, I can't. They talked for about 30 or 40 minutes, sharing their anger, sharing their sadness. One young woman brought up an idea they discussed earlier going to 35th Street. Others agreed, and they started tweeting out their plan and putting on their coats. They hopped on the Green Line train and took it four stops to 35th, Chicago's police headquarters. They were going to protest. Sixteen Shots is a production of WBEZ Chicago and the Chicago Tribune. It was produced by James Edwards with assistance from Joe Dassault and Carrie Shepard. Our reporting team includes Shannon Heffernan, Chip Mitchell, and Patrick Smith. Mike Lansu is our digital editor with help from Paula Friedrich and Gabrielle Wright. Our senior editor is Rob Wildeboer. Brendan Banizak is our executive producer. And Steve Edwards is WBEZ's chief content officer. Special thanks to the Tribune editors Matt O'Connor, Tracy Van Morleham, and Angela Rosa O'Toole. And thanks to the WBEC Newsroom, whose reporting was instrumental to this series. Additional thanks to Sarah Karp and Miles Bryan. And thanks to you for listening. In the morning rush or the end-of-day hustle, find the news on the WBEZ mobile app. Catch up and stay informed on your schedule from wherever you are. Available now for Android or iOS.